Welcome back to the New Life City podcast. Today we are kicking off the first part of our new sermon series, Coming to Jesus. Thank you guys. Come on, let's give Jesus praise. Come on, thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you for the opportunity to love you and be with you. I'm enjoying this New Mexico weather, but it is intense sometimes. I won't, I won't lie. That sun, wow, you feel it. Um, yeah, I'm, we're, we're so excited. We, you know, we've been praying into what God wants to do in this next season and what God wants to do at our church and our community. And I really felt the Lord kind of give me this theme about coming to Jesus, if you noticed the new signs on the backstage. And, uh, and, and the reality is that it's always about Jesus. It's never not gonna be about Jesus. Uh, it's always about him. And uh, you know, obviously in the past year and a half, uh, a lot of uh, navigating crazy circumstances. Uh, many times we've uh, been you know, differing on different sides of different things and, uh, and everyone has their own idea of what the right way is. But the reality is, is that not only is Jesus our destination in it all, he's actually with us on the journey. And so it's all about him. And so I just want us to get back to who it's about and not go anywhere else but with him on it. Does that make sense? So uh, I, 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 there's gonna be several different people speaking throughout the summer, mostly me, and, and uh, Alan will be joining me uh, when Ruth and I, we're, we're actually gonna be doing a vacation in July where we're gonna just find New Mexico. We're just gonna travel around and uh, visit different sites, and that's gonna be our vacation time. So if you have like a good place to, to see, not your house, but another place, no, I'm just kidding. We'll go to your house too. Uh, but let us know, we'd love to, we'd love to check it out. But this is, this is gonna be our, our theme, and, um, and so if, if you don't know anything, like you know how after the end of service, your spouse might be like, what was service about? And you just forget everything, you can just be like, it was about coming to Jesus, okay? All right, okay. Um, I, uh, I, I, you know, I've done a lot so far in my uh, short ministry career. I, I've actually uh, traveled with uh, Global Awakening for uh, almost 10 years and, um, and, and visited over 37 different nations. And, um, and you know, one of the crazy things about uh, traveling and seeing different cultures is, well, first of all, if you've never traveled before, the first time you travel, you're in for a rude awakening because like you, you actually think that normalcy is who you are. Cult, normal culture is your culture. And then all of a sudden you get exposed to a new family dynamic, maybe a new culture, a new area, and you realize, oh wow, there's different people who have different values, who are different in how they do things. And sometimes that might drive you nuts, and other times you might love it, but oftentimes people get something called culture shock. Have you ever experienced culture shock before? It's different. When the first time I experienced it, I was like torn inside. I had like some kind of, you know, like internal struggle and I didn't understand why and I realized, oh, I'm, I'm like in culture shock, you know, when I went to my first country uh, that was besides America. And, uh, and obviously inside America we have many different cultures. But one of the crazy things about visiting almost uh, 37 countries uh, is that no matter where I went, no matter how big the city was, no matter how different the country was, no matter how small the village was, what was 
something that was persistent in every single culture is that I realized they all have their own version of bread. Isn't that interesting? That no matter where you go, I would go to a small village called Ninyunga in Zimbabwe, Africa, where you land the plane, you drive four hours, and then the road stops, and it's now this dirt path that this combi van's trying to like navigate through massive potholes, and it takes another eight hours, and then you get into this village, and they have no running water, they have uh, no things that we really rely on, but they have their own bread. Fascinating. You go to France, they have awesome croissants, right? You go to India, they have awesome naan bread, which I love, garlic naan bread. Have you ever had garlic naan bread? It's dangerous. You go to Nigeria, they have some cool puff puff bread. It's like this sweet donut bread that is also dangerous. Italian bread, I mean, come on, who doesn't love Italian bread, right? Any paisans here? All right, okay, there we go. But it's amazing how uh, every culture, Mexico, uh, tortillas, right? Every, there's its own version of bread. And I don't think that's a coincidence. You know why? Because I'm a preacher. And I know that whenever I try to make a point, I wanna have the best analogy I have for my point. And I think, this is just my opinion, that God, in his vast, infinite wisdom, knew that he wanted to have a point for the greatest message on earth. And so that when you went to any city, any village, any country, and you talk about Jesus being the bread of, they would know and understand what you're talking about because bread is sustenance. I mean, you have Jesus who's the bread of life born in Bethlehem, which actually means the house of bread. Now don't tell me that's a coincidence. You have the bread of life born in the house of bread No, the the one who ordains all things knew that Jesus, just his life, would preach as nourishment. You see, I think in all of us, we have this God-shaped hole in our heart that only Christ can fill, and we were actually made that way. After the fall of man, the first time bread is mentioned is actually after sin entered the world when uh, the Lord says, "You, you now must eat by the sweat of your brow, and it describes bread in there. And I just don't think that's a coincidence. I remember when, um, I mean, my family, we, I grew up in an Italian-American family. We loved carbs. I don't know, uh, it's just like in our culture and um, we would eat carbs all the time. I just loved it. And uh, I remember when the Atkins diet came out and, and you remember the Atkins diet and they're like, bread's bad. And my parents are like, that's heresy. That's not, it's impossible that bread could be bad, you know? And it, it took me, you know, till I was like 14 years old to realize I was eating the same ingredients in different shapes. Like Monday, we would have spaghetti and meatballs with like cheese on top. And then like Tuesday, we would have something called, it was totally different, it's called raviolis. It's like a pasta circle with cheese inside and meat sauce on it. And then Wednesday, we have something absolutely different. It would be something called tortellinis. It'd be like these pasta tire shaped things with cheese and meat sauce on it. Thursday, we would mix it up. We would do something called lasagna, which is layers of noodles and pasta, cheese, and meat sauce. And so, uh, and then Friday, we would totally just order pizza, you know? And so I was like, I'm just eating the same ingredients. (laughs) And maybe your culture might be like that too. It's just funny how those things happen. And, you know, what's interesting is uh, my my grandma, she's the one who 
put this in our culture. I'm sure she received it from the Italian, uh, I don't know, godfathers, I don't know. But, but she wouldn't ask you if you were full. See, my mom, taking that on, she wouldn't ask, she knew better to ask you if you were full. She would ask you, can you eat any more? Because there's a difference. Can you swallow more? Because they, they don't know how to cook for just six people. They only cook for 20. And so now they're trying to sell it to you, you know? And so I, it, what's interesting is, you know, the kingdom of heaven is upside down. You know, the, the last shall be, the first shall be last. The greatest servant is the greatest leader. The greatest leader is the greatest servant. And one thing that I find in the kingdom of heaven that's upside down is if you wanna stay hungry, you need to keep eating. I have so many friends that, man, they started their walk around the time I started my walk. Some, some of them went to ministry school with me. And over the years, over the time, they would find themselves in this state. They would find themselves in this place of being. They, it wasn't like they were doing anything immorally wrong. They would come to church even, but they just lost it. They just pod, they would just be honest with me. I don't feel him anymore. I don't. The worship songs don't do it for me. I've read all those scriptures. I've gotten the t-shirt at that conference. And I'd ask every one of them, when did you stop eating? See, when you stop eating, your hunger fades in the kingdom. You know, I was doing this, uh, reading my Bible, and, uh, and I was reading, you know, and um, the Lord, I got done reading it, and the Lord said, read it again. So I read it again. Has God ever done that to you before? So I read it again. It was John 6. It got done. He said, read again. Read it again. He said, read it again. And it was getting annoying to me because... It's not like there were like three verses or six verses or 15. John 6 is like 72 verses, you know? So it's like, it's like, again, God, I mean, come on. And usually God wants to just show me something, maybe speak personally to me or, or point something out to me. And, and oftentimes the Holy Spirit will do that to you. And, uh, and, you know, 72 verses, there's a lot going on there. And so I'm like, God, I don't, I don't understand what you're trying to say. And, uh, and I had this crazy journey where I just kept reading it. And I find out that even though there's so many different stories going on, essentially the whole thing's about bread. Now I'm not gonna read those 72 verses because uh, that might be making a bad sermon for you, but it might be too long. But I want, you to, I want to encourage you to read it. As I, you know, I'm gonna paraphrase it for you, but if you go home, read it, study it. It's not my job to read your Bible for you. It's your job to read your Bible, okay? Right, sorry if that. I'll read the Bible too, but you guys do to it, okay? Um, so John 6, here it goes. You know, Jesus is by the Sea of Galilee. He's walking by, he has this massive following, 5,000 men, not including women and children, and he has compassion on them, and he wants to give them food, and so he turns to disciples and says, where can we find bread to feed these people? Now it's interesting he already knows what he's going to do, but he refers to his disciples, where can we find bread? He never asked for fish, but one guy said, one disciple said, you know what, there's, there's be so much 
money to buy all these people bread. It would like essentially be 30 days worth of wages. Another disciple found a little boy's lunch which had bread and fishes and Jesus never asked for fishes. I just call that collateral blessing. Just like you're in the right place at the right time. I've been that way. Like I've like gone along to lunch with another friend and that other friend paid and I was just present. I was like, sweet, collateral blessing. It happens. You weren't, you were just in the right place at the right time. You benefited from other, someone else's benefit. But I, I just think that, you know, Jesus, he asked for bread and he blesses the bread and the fish and he multiplies it and he tells the disciples to get, or, you know, organize the crowd and they put them in sections and, and then they give, he tells them to give away the bread. Now, I don't know, and the fish, I don't know how you would have given that because I like to like, Think about miracles and the story and like, how did that happen? Because sometimes we just assume like, oh, this happened, but there was a process to it, right? Like, I don't know, if, G- if I was following Jesus at that time and if I was one of the 12 and if he gave me that job, I would organize it. That's easy, kind of. And then, I don't know, how would you give away that bread? Would you, I'd be like, just take a little bit. It's got to go all this way, you know? Like, how did it happen? Like, did that just come back? Do, do you want a little chunk? You know, it's like, hey, John, is your bread and fish multiplying? Yeah, man, I don't know what's happening. It's just going, I'd be like, and then I'd be like, you want half a loaf? Hey, you want a full loaf? You know, and like, just hand it out, right? And, and, and it says in the, in the scriptures that there was so much left over that there was 12 basketfuls left over. That's why they think the 12 were assigned because there was 12 basketfuls. And so, um, and so it said that the people were so pleased and happy in their bellies, in their hearts, that they wanted to make Jesus king. And Jesus knew that this is what they wanted, so he withdrew from them, he disappeared from them, because Jesus doesn't wanna be king of just one people or one nation. He knew that was in their hearts, and that wasn't the mandate or the mission on his life. See, this whole miracle actually prophesies of Jesus' divinity because the previously there was a prophet who, who multiplied five loaves for 20 men. Here you have a, uh, or 20 loaves for 100 men. Here you have Jesus multiplying five loaves for thousands of men. Some theologians think that 15 to 20,000 people were there because it didn't include women and children. It prophesies the divinity of Jesus. So anyway, Jesus disappears in the, in the crowd. The disciples know that this is Jesus' MO, so they say, all right, let's get in the boat, let's go to the other side, and while they're trying to row to the other side, they are, they are stuck in the middle of the sea because the wind is too rough for them, and Jesus is walking along the water, and they're so scared because they can't figure out what is coming at them that they think it's a ghost, yet it's Jesus. And it's interesting, they call him a ghost, which at back then, something evil, right? You, you know, you're not even supposed to pray to the dead. And sometimes we, we call things that are evil, we call things that are good evil because Jesus is coming in a way we haven't experienced him before. And that's what that was, that was what was happening. And Jesus said, do not fear, it is I which if he would have said that in the Aramaic, it would have been more likely said, do not fear, it is I am. And what is Jesus doing 
But again, prophesying of his divinity because every prophet before had split the waters and walked through them, but only God could walk on it. As soon as he enters that boat, it says that the technical term is translate to the other side. I call it teleport. They boom, they find, they find themselves to the other side. I always ask Jesus for that miracle. I haven't had it yet. I'm like, Jesus, get in the car. Like, I'm in traffic. I do not want to be in traffic. Like, get in this seat. I want to just boom over to the other side. Still hasn't happened yet. And it said that the people from the day before had come to the other side, and Jesus calls them out on it. He says, you're coming for more bread. You want me to feed you again? And they said, well, yeah, there was a, there was a prophet, Moses. He fed, he fed us, and Jesus said, he didn't feed you. My heavenly Father fed them, and, and that was the manna from heaven, and they still died. But I have bread that you can eat and live forever. And they said, give us this bread that we may eat. And Jesus says one of the most offensive things ever. He says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. This would have been mind-blowing to anyone listening, including the twelve. Now, the 12 never, like, they always, you know, showed a strong face when they were with Jesus, like, in front of other people, because they would always, like, after parables, they would ask him about things, you know? And so they were probably, like, listening, being like, yep, that's right, eat his flesh, drink his blood, you know? But, but, but in their mind, they're going, what in the world, right? It's just so offensive to any Roman person. In Roman law back then, uh, cannibalism was illegal, so if you, I mean, culturally, just eating flesh, drinking blood, that's just weird. So they're like, this is crazy. Uh, Jews, a human sacrifice is obviously uh, against their religious law. And so they, they said, all, they actually said, this is, this is hard for us. And they leave, thousands of people leave Jesus over that statement. And the disciples, when Jesus points, when he turns to them, he says, are you gonna leave too? They didn't understand it, but they said this, where can we go? for you have the words of eternal life. I love how Bill says that sometimes God will offend your mind just to reveal your heart. Sometimes Jesus will do things or will go through things that we don't necessarily understand and we can't piece it all together in the moment of our suffering, maybe in a tragedy, but sometimes it reveals where our heart is in the middle of not understanding. And it was revealed that the disciples, even though they didn't understand this very hard saying, they were with him because they knew that his words fed them, that his words were eternal life to them. You know, there's this interesting scripture. I love this scripture. Luke eleven eleven. Jesus says this. If a son asks for bread, from any father among you, will he give him a stone? It's interesting how Jesus posits that. Or if he asks for fish, will he give a serpent instead of a fish? Down to 13, verse 13 says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus has this interesting dynamic. If you ask the heavenly father, your heavenly father, for bread, he will not give you a stone. Let's go to Matthew 4. I'm all over the Bible today, okay? I encourage you to check my sources. 
all right? With the internet now, you can actually look it up in real time. Matthew 4, Jesus, wonderful moment in the Bible. John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus and says that the heavens open, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and the voice of the Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It's one of the few times in scripture where you actually have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit present in one scene, in one moment. There's the Trinity right there. Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Then it says that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. How many know what I'm talking about? Do you guys all need to go through Sunday school again? Are we good? Are we good? No, I'm just kidding. If you don't know it, that's fine. Just read it. So he says, um, he gets into the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights. Now the devil, interestingly enough, this is his strategy. He's a great strategist. See, the devil will always challenge you over the last thing of what God said about you. What's the devil's strategy here? First temptation, if you're the son of God. Heavenly Father, just in Matthew 4, this is my beloved son. In the wilderness, if you're the son of God. I remember when I had this amazing revelation when I was saved out of a bar, got radically rededicating my life to Jesus because someone spoke life into my life and I had this amazing peace that I had never known before. As soon as I had this revelation and understanding of God's peace, not the world's peace, but God's peace, is when all hell broke loose in my life. Why? Because the devil wanted to see if I actually believed what God said about me. So he wanted to challenge me in that area. And so he did the same thing to Jesus, if you're the son of God. And what's crazy is Satan's temptation. He says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. He offers Jesus stones as bread. Wow, Jesus talked about in Luke 11, if you ask your heavenly father for bread, he won't give you a stone. Now Satan's offering stones as bread to Jesus. And if you think that Satan would offer the Son of God stones as bread, something natural as supernatural, don't you think he would try to offer you a stone as well? See, I think sometimes as Christians, we take stones as bread, having full bellies but actually lacking all nutrition. Thinking that it's gonna feed us but it never really feeds us. And they don't even have to be morally wrong. I remember when uh, I went to ministry school, I was, um, you know, the first time I was in uh, ministry school, I thought, you know, I'm God's gift to the ministry school because I thought I was ready and I, I found out real quick I was not ready. I had a lot of growing up to do. But they taught me, they said, you know, you need to uh, uh, worship and, and pray and every morning, the, all the students, they did that. They had personal prayer, they had worship and it did something to me. It taught me that in the morning, the first thing I wanna do is turn my affections towards him. It's the first thing I wanna do. 
And, uh, and so I, I did that every morning. I made, while I was getting ready, while I was getting prepared for the morning, no matter what I was doing that day, I would be in a state of worship and having affections towards God, even while I'm getting ready, getting dressed, getting the day ready. And, uh, and I had this horrible hobby that I created where while I was traveling a lot, um, I couldn't watch all the sports games, which I usually like to watch the, the Philadelphia Eagles. Any Eagles fans? Okay, thank you, thank you. But uh, I couldn't do that anymore, and so uh, I'm, I, was, I would be in church services four or five days a week, traveling the other two days. And, uh, and so I did this stupid thing. I started reading the news. And I thought it was cool because I was reading the news from all the different countries that I visited. So I'd be like, oh, what's Singapore news like? What's, what's Europe's news like? What's uh, England's news like? What's, you know, Africa and, uh, and Nigeria and just like different places uh, that I had visited. And I remember the moment where I was able to get an app on my iPhone that actually reads me the news from any news source that I preset every morning. And I thought, look at all the time I would save if I just, boop, put that news on and then get ready and I would have everything that I would. I've saved all this time. And I was ministering and I was traveling. I remember when I got ordained, my father, he's not a minister. He's not from any lineage of pastors. He, he sold life insurance for a living. And uh, he told me, look, Paul, if you don't want anyone talking to you on the airplane, just tell them you sell life insurance. They'll just stop talking to you. <laughs> I was like, okay, it works. And uh, anyway, so I, that's, that's what he did. But, but when I got ordained, he said, Paul, you know, this doesn't replace relationship. I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, when you go and minister, the anointing's gonna feel good. God's faithful to his people. You're serving his people. He's gonna show up but it doesn't replace relationship. You still need your own relationship with Jesus. So back to me traveling, I'm traveling, I'm now listening to the news every morning and I'm ministering and God is showing up. People are getting saved, people are getting healed, people are getting delivered, people are being encouraged. God's being so faithful and it feels so good, but something's off on the inside of me. I didn't feel right, I didn't feel the same. It wasn't like I was morally wrong. It wasn't like I was constantly sinning. What it, what it was was I realized after reading John 6 hundreds of times that Jesus was trying to tell me I took stones as bread. That these stones, even when they're not immorally wrong, I tried to put something where I actually used to feed from the Lord on. And I think as Christians, sometimes we take a stone, not even realizing it. That stone could be a political field. That stone could be um, uh, a TV show. That stone could be sports. That stone could be a relationship. That stone could be anything you expect to feed you beyond what God can feed you. And all of a sudden, I have all these friends who have these big bellies lacking all nutrition, who can't feel God anymore, who, who who's, can't remember the last time they heard him and then slowly are fading into the distance because they stopped eating the bread of life. I love when the disciples ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, how should we pray? I'm like so glad they asked that 
Because it's like, you know, oftentimes the disciples would ask Jesus something and then he would just like answer what they should have asked or like kind of like, you know, be like, you foolish people, you know, or something. <laughs> but they asked Jesus, how should we pray? And Jesus answered him. And he gave, he gave us the Lord's Prayer, which I love to pray. It's, it's not illegal to pray the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prayed it. He told us this is how to pray. He said, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I love how our stream, our, our charismatic stream has emphasized this in the past few decades, how we need to pray that the kingdom of heaven should be on earth. Whatever God's will is in heaven, we should bring it to earth. If there's no cancer in heaven, let's pray that no cancer is on earth. Is there, if there's violence in, uh, if there's no violence in heaven, let's us pray that there's no violence on earth, right? Let's pray that God's kingdom comes in Albuquerque, in New Life City, in this uh, community. We want his kingdom. But too often, we stop there. What's the next line? And give us this day our daily bread. This is Jesus telling the disciples to pray this way. You know, growing up Catholic, you know, I, well, I was, uh, I'm Italian, so they pop you out Catholic. It's like you got no choice in the matter. And uh, my parents got saved. Uh, this is their testimony in the Catholic Charismatic Renewal. Um, not that you can't be saved uh, being Catholic, but they, they found a true experience with Jesus. They became born again in that Catholic Charismatic Renewal and, uh, and then became Pentecostal. But um, so I was born Catholic, and so after my Holy Communion, they decided to be Pentecostal, and so there I was, Pentecostal. Um, but, you know, hearing this prayer, they would always teach you, well, this is the part where Jesus, you know, you can ask God to provide for your natural means, that he would provide for shelter, for finances, for provision, which is totally okay to pray. You can ask God for those things. But I don't think that's what Jesus was actually saying in that moment. There's a, there's a word when it, in that daily bread. That word daily is not in the ancient Greek or modern Greek. It's not in the ancient Hebrew or modern Hebrew. That word is epiosis. And there's been 32 different translations of what that word what might mean. It's one of the most argued words over in the New Testament. Isn't that weird? Daily bread. One of the reasons is uh, they think it's too redundant. It's like going to the baker and say, can I have today's bread today? Give me today's bread today. That's kind of what it would be like. And, and so, you know, they've kind of settled with daily, but if, if, you, uh, if you study it out, uh, there's a Dr. Kenneth E. Bailey, he's a linguist, uh, amazing revelation on this scripture. Uh, he recently passed. He's a natural Syriac language, which is, that's his native tongue, and, uh, and then he became a theologian. And, uh, and his Syriac language is a sister language to Aramaic, which is what Jesus would have spoken. Before Dr. Kenneth Bailey's revelation, most people thought that the epiosis word was a word that was combined from two words, like the word chillax. It's not really a word, but you all know what I mean. I mean chill out and relax. Happens in the English language all the time. So that's what they thought this word was, but the reality is Dr. Kenneth E. Bailey said if we translate it correctly, to how Aramaic would have sounded, sister language to Syriac, it would have sounded more like this. Give us the bread that never runs out. 
Or another translation he said would be, or give us the bread that's more than enough. What is Jesus actually saying? But every time you turn your affections towards him, he feeds you. And it's everlasting. And it gives life. And it restores hope. And there's joy in it. And every day you'll hunger for it if that's what you're eating. But Satan in his scandalous, manipulative ways will try every one of us, including myself, to pick up a stone one day. Innocent stone. Six months later, we're in a place we might not have ever felt like before and we wonder what happened. And the problem was we stopped eating. And so I'm not trying to be extreme here. I want you to know, I'm not saying you can't watch football. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can't watch baseball. I'm not saying that you can't enjoy your family or your spouse. All I'm saying is that's not your, re- that's not your source. I want us to stand. There's a, um, there's a moment after Jesus' death, before his resurrection, where chaos breaks loose, right? And uh, there's these two guys that used to follow Jesus that were on a road, and they were discussing the chaos. They're pretty much saying, man, I thought he was the one. I thought Jesus was the one who was gonna set us free as a people. I thought he would be the one who would knock Rome over. I thought he was the Messiah. I thought he was what we were expecting. Obviously, you know, they're discussing all this stuff. And a man who's passing by them hears what they're discussing. And he starts speaking to them, saying, don't you understand? These are prophecies that had to come to pass. These are things. Jesus had to die. And, and, and they, they loved what this man was saying. And so they, they asked this man. He, the man was going to go on to another village, but they said, no, please stay in our village. Stop by our village. Our village is right here. And so come have a meal with us. And, and so, so this man, who ends up being Jesus, sits down with them. And it says this. It says, the moment he took the bread and broke it, he disappeared. What was he doing? The bread brought revelation to them and they said, that was Jesus. And one of the things that so, that they couldn't help to not write in the gospel, which if you read the story, you love this part of it. They said this, they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us when he was with us? What are they saying? We loved him so much because when he spoke, he fed us. When he was speaking, there was something inside me that I just could not deny. It was bringing life and hope and joy. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you for joining us for our first installation of the Coming to Jesus sermon series with Pastor Paul Martini. If you would like to know more about our church, go to newlifecity.org. Thank you. Have a great week.
will of God, that by doing good you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God.